guest today is Peyton Garland, and she says God never designed us to be lonely, and she wrote the book, Not So By Myself, a safe place where God doesn't fix the loneliness, but sits with you instead. Countless people are suffering alone, and if you're a stay-at-home mom or someone in an assisted living, you know, it's, it's really tough. Peyton, have you have gone through this loneliness too? And what would you say to someone listening about your own experiences? I think the first thing that's so important to know when you're walking through a season of loneliness is it's okay to identify the loneliness. I think we live in a presentation culture, especially with social media, that you have to come with your best at all times and you have to balance all the things and juggle all the things well for the sake of pleasing other people. And the first thing I tell people is own the loneliness because until you own it and call it what it is, you can't address it in a healthy way. And after you just say, hey, you know what? I am lonely and I'm not okay with it. I encourage everyone to do two things. Have a very raw, real prayer with God. I, I encourage prayers that that are still reverent, but but also just vulnerable. God is fully aware of what's going on in your mind. He is fully aware of what heart situation you're in. So have vulnerable prayers and then go to someone you trust to not necessarily hold you accountable in a season of loneliness, but someone you can trust to check on you and to make sure you're taking care of yourself in this tough season. You know, I, I come to think of it when you're talking about social media, there's so many people out there that are, you know, they're alone and they depend on it. Um, and that's kind of, that's not a really a good route to go. Do you have anything you could say? Yes. <laughs> so as a millennial technology is what I've known since I was a teenager. It's, it's become an identifier for so many people. Likes, follows, shares becomes your worth. And I believe that is a very dangerous thing, especially like when you said social media is your sole interaction with people. That is the only way you communicate because I believe there's a beauty in face-to-face -face conversation. There's a reason we have facial expressions. We have tones and influxes in our voice. There's something raw and beautiful to human beings being in the same room as each other and having open conversations because so much can be read in the wrong way. So many things can be said over the phone that people would not dare say to another person in person. And I think social media in a sense has caused us to completely lose our humanity. And, and I, I don't know, it, it's, it's dangerous in my yes. opinion where social media is going. I, I believe that because I, I know that there were times where I was so connected to it that it was overtaking my life. And mm -hmm. um, this can happen to a lot of people. They can depend on it so much. Instead of depending on God to fill the things inside, they're depending on the social media for that attention. You have, in your book, you have talked about that you had OCD mm -hmm. and how this has impacted your life and your relationships with others. Can you talk about that? Sure. So a lot of people, unfortunately, have a strange stigma of OCD. I think they believe it's just you like to color, you know, coordinate the clothes in your closet. You like a clean space. You're obsessive about things being neat and in order. And that's not to say that's not part of the disorder, but 
quite literally from a scientific perspective, OCD is where your frontal cortex, which is where in your brain you process emotions, responses, everyday thought patterns, it's misfiring neuron transmitters to the rest of my brain. And so my ability to process everyday emotions, everyday responses, everyday thoughts is hypersensitive. It's quite literally my adrenal glands are overreacting to every thought and every feeling. And so your body lives in a constant fight or flight and that affects every part of your day. Every thought that comes through your head, OCD tries to filter in an unhealthy way. And what that does with relationships is it causes me to overthink relationships, to overanalyze situations, to read into things that don't exist. It causes me to retreat from relationships when I feel like I can't read into what's going on. So it affects quite literally every thought that I have. OCD is something that shows up and my brain has to filter through. Wow. What, what, did, you, what did you do about all this? <laughs> I, I didn't handle it well at first, just full honesty. I, I didn't know what it was because I think OCD has been so stereotyped. I had no clue that, that these obsessions, not just with washing my hands or keeping a neat space, but these obsessions with not praying the right way, these obsessions with if I'm driving down the road, what if I hit somebody and didn't know it? Do I need to turn my car around and check on somebody? These were not healthy thoughts, but I had no clue they weren't healthy thoughts. So once my husband was gone in this season of loneliness I was in, when he was away for months on end for work, the thoughts became very loud because I was all by myself. All the monsters could come out of my closet. I ended up in therapy. That, that's honestly where the process started for me because I had to go to someone and just say, I have no clue what's going on in my head and also my heart, but I'm not okay. Hmm. And it, and so what happened then? Did you, did you, did they put you on medication or, you know, did you, how was the therapy? How did it help you? Therapy is something I, I didn't want to go to because I deemed it failure. I thought I have hit rotten bottom. I am talking to a stranger. I am telling this woman my whole life and I don't even know her but she was fantastic. I found it very important to go to Christian counseling. I wanted someone who could, could speak not just to what was going on in my headspace, but someone who could speak to my soul. And it could almost be ministry in and of itself. And that's what it became for me. Um, I wasn't diagnosed with just OCD. I walked away with also generalized anxiety disorder and secondary post-traumatic stress disorder. So <laughs> it was a very humbling time for me. I, I had built my life on perfection. OCD gears your brain that way, doing all the things right, saying all the things right. And for the first time in my life, perfection was unattainable. And, and I realized that perhaps I could put down perfection and pick up grace mm. instead. And I, I think there was such a healing in that process. I didn't get on medication for about another year, year and a half. We, we tried to go organically, I think would probably be the word. But when COVID hit, I, it just made things 20 times worse for me. So I do take Zoloft every morning and I see it as a modern day miracle. Mm -hmm. Wow. That that's, you know, a lot of people can relate to this because, you know, not only is it OCD, but like you said, like all these other disorders that you've from the pandemic, why is it not always easy or safe to do what you're supposed to do? <laughs> I think it's not always easy or safe because 
we are so ingrained in the routine of what elevates us and or what makes us comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think most of the time doing what's right mandates us to sacrifice one of the two, if not both. Mm-hmm. It, it is so easy to do what is comfortable and it is so easy to do what fits in your routine and does not inconvenience you. But that's exactly what the gospel is. I firmly believe Jesus coming from heaven down here was very inconvenient, (laughs) very uncomfortable. And I think we are called to mirror that sacrifice. And in today's age of instant gratification, Amazon prime, something's at your door. If you want it in 24 hours, if there's something else you want and there's not a store near you, just get on your phone, order online. It's very hard for us to sacrifice our comfort and our routine and instant gratification to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. At what point did did God come into your life and change you? I I first met Jesus when I was 13, just a very raw, honest encounter with him. I grew up in in a really unhealthy church culture where it was all about rules. It was very legalistic. There There was talk of grace, but there was never an implementation of grace. So I had no clue what it was. And so thankfully at 13 years old, I had one of my first real vulnerable conversations with God. I I discovered his love. And I think the next time that the Lord showed up in such a pivotal way in my life was in that season of loneliness. I, I remember I was having a really hard night. Josh was, my husband was gone. My brain was super loud. I was so tired of being by myself. I was so tired of of going to bed by myself doing, I was the Mrs. Mister. I was doing both jobs all the time and it was just very exhausting. And, and I remember I was in the hallway and I just, I ended up stomping my foot like a child, a a complete temper tantrum. And and I looked up at the sky and I said, what are you doing? This isn't okay. I, I don't like what you're doing. This is not acceptable. And what are you doing? God, this isn't okay. I just want you to know I'm not okay. And I think in that moment, I finally had to admit I wasn't okay, which is so hard for a perfectionist. But I think that's when God was able to say, now we're having real conversations. This is what I wanted the whole time. I wanted your honesty. I wanted your messy because I'm the only one who can do anything with that anyway. That's the answer. Jesus is the answer. Yes, always. And so there are people out there that have somebody that they know, like in a family, um, that the person has that LCD. And right. how can they help them? What, what can they do? How can they be a good source of, say, the light of Christ in their life? That's a great question. The first thing I encourage people to do is don't tell people just stop the thoughts, you know, well, just stop obsessing. I wish it was that easy, but when it's literally a chemical imbalance in your brain, it's not within the human power to just go, okay, I will stop. Let me snap my fingers and fix my brain. And then the second thing I really encourage people to do is to to not make lighthearted jokes about OCD. You hear all the time, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm so OCD. I like to, to clean all the time. I like to color coordinate my clothes. Be really conscious of or cautious of, of jokes because it's, for someone like me, where it can be quite literally debilitating, it's very discouraging. And it's not just discouraging. 
but that's part of the reason people don't go and get help is it's so stigmatized and, and it's so incorrectly stigmatized. Nobody thinks they have it. So nobody seeks treatment for it. But on the flip side of that, if, you know, outside of just, you know, Hey, don't make jokes say be careful with your words. I, I would say show up for people in that space. Just like you show up when a loved one has died for, you know, when a friend has lost someone they love, you show up with a meal or you show up just to sit with them. With people with mental health disorders, oftentimes it's the exact same thing. You just show up in that space and you allow the person with OCD to be vulnerable. And you also allow yourself to be vulnerable because I think the second we share our struggles with one another, even if they're not identical, there's a, oh, me too moment or, oh, I'm not by myself. I'm not the only one going through this. And I think that's when a lot of people have the courage to seek help when they realize they aren't by themselves in this sort of thing. Wow. So what happened to you in a church? You said you were traumatized. Can you talk about that? Sure. I think trauma is a very heavy word and I think it should be used with great respect. And so for me to use the word traumatized within church culture, it literally kickstarted one of the branches of OCD in my brain, which is called mental thoughts and taboo rituals. It's better known as religious OCD. And oftentimes people who already have OCD where the neuron transmitters do not send messages correctly when you're in a very unhealthy church culture, when it's, I mean, I hate to call it this, when it's almost cult-like, it's, it's very unhealthy mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It literally forms a different branch of OCD in your brain. And that's what happened for me. It was all about rules and there was no grace and there was no coming to God at all. You had to wait for him to, to come to you you weren't good enough and and not that you are good enough. We are flawed, but I think that's the beauty is, is God lets us come to him just as messy as we are. If you look at the gospels, he always went out of his way for the messy people. It wasn't the religious people. It wasn't the people who were put together. He sought the messiest people. And I think there's a beauty from Ash that, that Jesus loves. I think that's what he seeks to do for us. And I never knew that. No one told me that they, they told me he died for me. And in theory, it was him dying for me. So I would have to, to die too. And sure. Paul talks about dying to oneself, being crucified with Christ, but there was no grace. It was, Hey, if you're not good enough, you're not going to make it. If you're not good enough, don't ever expect to hear from God. That's not how this works. And so I, I became a perfectionist in the most unhealthy way. I was the valedictorian of my high school class. I went on to college to, to do all sorts of things. I balanced three part-time jobs while being a full-time student. I graduated college with honors, which sounds great, but all of these gold stars did absolutely nothing for my soul. That was not what accessed God. And it all came from church, just from the sphere that I had to show up flawless in order for God to want to even speak to me. Mm. So my next question to you is why do people worry and why do they run from fear? Oh, I think people, people worry about what they fear. I think the two coincide very subtly. 
because if you have to face your fears, you more than likely have to face a heart issue. And typically that's something you're worried about. You don't let yourself really process it. You just choose to worry about it in an unhealthy way. You know, I, I feared not being perfect. And so for me showing up at therapy, it destroyed my pride. It destroyed my perfection and therapy was my biggest fear all along. To me, that was the mark of failure. That was the, you did not pass go. You did not collect $200. You did not make it. But that was quite literally the launching pad for my healing process spiritually and mentally. And I think, I think that's why we don't like to face fears is oftentimes at the core of the fear is something within us that we have to work on. Mm-hmm. And, and how does God reach into that pain? I think he, he reaches into it right where we are. And I think that's what a lot of Christians miss. And I think that's what a lot of people who are outside the church miss and they don't even know it. They, they think they have to come to God with a certain set of standards. And, and that's just, that's why, you know, when I created the byline of the book, it was a safe space where God doesn't fix the loneliness, but sits with you instead, because he, he quite literally invades the worst spaces. And I think that's what makes him not just, you know, a a God, but also a friend. So for a family member who might be struggling with someone who has OCD, yeah. how I'm, I'm asking you, how can they pray for, for them? And how, how do you see God working? I, I love that. I've never been asked that question. And I, I really like that question. I think one of the biggest things you can pray is, that they learn to separate themselves from OCD. I think that's what makes it such a a vile diagnosis and disorder is people with OCD think they are their thoughts. And and that's not true. It quite literally, your brain's just misfiring to the rest of your body. And so I think if you could pray for discernment for the person struggling, that they could separate who they are and who God sees them as from a disorder that is out of their control. It's not something they did something bad, so they deserve it now. It's not something that's built to implement shame. And I think that's the next thing I encourage people to pray is that those struggling with OCD, that they don't carry the weight of shame because number one, they're free because of Christ. We aren't meant to carry shame. We can't love well from a place of shame, but also because OCD isn't a sign that we are that we are unholy. It's not a sign that we did something bad. It's just a sign that humanity's flawed. But in the middle of that, there's a flawless God who works so, so well. Um, what's the last word you'd like to leave people with? What do you want them to know? I would love for them to know that grace and perfection can't coexist. You, you got to pick one. And I, I promise from experience, perfection will leave you exhausted and grace leaves you with the freedom to heal. Get Peyton's book, Not So By Myself, A Safe Place Where God Doesn't Fix the Loneliness, but sits with you instead on Amazon.com. Thank you for watching the call. We hope you learned more about Jesus through this video. You can have a relationship with Jesus. Just invite him into your life. Repent of your sins, ask for forgiveness, and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Until next time, may the Lord be with you. For more information about this ministry, go to the call with nancysabato.com where we are leading you to Christ through stories and teaching. Music